Welcome to 35 West. I'm Ryan Berg, director of the Americas program at CSIS and host of the 35 West podcast. With how professional the Mexican but government are we ready? I don't reform think. trends in Argentina. Right. And that's what happened. No role at all in the NAFTA negotiation. The Western Hemisphere has been rocked by a series of regional and global shocks, from supply chain disruptions to growing food insecurity to political polarization and ongoing environmental shifts. In the face of these disruptions, private enterprise and the business community play an important role, maintaining livelihoods, supporting innovative technologies, and advocating for sustainable development. Especially as the region begins to recover from the COVID-19 pandemic, Close coordination between the public and private sectors will be a high priority for governments throughout the hemisphere. This week, we are joined by Ambassador Juan Carlos Pinzon, a visiting diplomatic fellow with the CSIS Americas program and a former two-time ambassador of Colombia to the United States. An economist by training and with extensive experience at organizations such as the World Bank, Colombian Banking Association, and Citigroup, Ambassador Pinzon joins us today to discuss the most salient challenges facing the region and how the business community is responding. In this episode, we will look into themes of sustainable development, including the environmental responsibility of companies, confronting global economic disruptions, and the impact of rising populism and political polarization on the business community. Thank you so much for joining us today, Ambassador Pinson. Ryan, thank you so much. It's a real privilege to be here at this podcast. And well, always CSIS is ahead of you know, major global discussions, and, and I'm very happy you're focusing so much on the region now, on Latin America. Ambassador, I've tried to give a very brief overview of your background, but it would take much longer to do justice to your extensive career in both the private sector and in public service. So I'd like to begin this podcast by asking you if you could please share a bit more with us about your career. What lessons have you learned from your time working at the intersection of government and private industry? Well, thank you. You're very generous, and I think uh, you, you made a, a very extensive and, and more than generous description. But yes, I've been in my life, I would say, on the four different places you can be working in any state, you know, that we know in the West. I've been in government. I've been Minister of Defense. I've been uh, working on the economic side of the government as well in the Ministry of Finance and also the World Bank, as you described. Then I went to politics politics itself. So, you know, I, I ran for office and I tried to run for president and vice president of my own country. And I've been in the private sector, both in banking industry and in consulting business. So, you know, I, I somehow have get the flavor of what is needed and, you know, how, uh, you know, moving the economy forward has a lot of challenges, more than people usually knows. Uh, being an entrepreneur is something very, very special. And also I've been in what I describe as the gray zone, in the areas in which you're trying to promote public policy for the purpose of, you know, having a major impact both in academic world and in business world. So I start this perspective just because what I know for sure is that if we want to have a world in which we have better lives for more people, we need to have environments that are appropriate for investment, for job creation, and of course, well-regulated in a way that we don't see uh, abuses by anyone, you know, because those, you know, do happen as well. But if you, for instance, put a set of taxes so high that companies cannot really perform 
and you know capital will move to another place, you're really harming not the companies, not the private sector, but the people, and typically the poorest of the poor, that will not get uh, jobs, training, education, or even money out of the government because governments will not have enough uh, revenues. Uh, from taxes. So, you know, I sound like a, a little bit of a, a professor just because probably I'm doing that these days as a visiting professor as well. But this is what is important. You know, we cannot miss the point that every time we have a real policy challenge is not about private sector and government. It's not about private interests and government. It's a lot more consequential than that. And I think it's very important to foresee policy like that. Ambassador, a combination of pressures from the pandemic, inflation, and the second and third order consequences of Russia's invasion of Ukraine paint a pretty gloomy outlook for both the global and the regional economy. Recent economic forecasts suggest that the United States is heading for a recession, with significant consequences for the countries in the region closely integrated with Washington. What is the regional economic outlook for Latin America at the moment? I think Latin America has been seriously hit by the pandemic. We cannot forget the, the millions of people that you know, died as part of the, of the COVID crisis. But in addition to that, in Latin America, the economic downturn that it implied, especially along the year 2020, had really moved tectonic plagues. It has created a major shock, especially on unemployment. And that unemployment, in addition, invited social unrest and somehow exposed inequalities and frustrations that probably were hidden for years or were not as dramatic as we finally saw them. I think that not only in Latin America, but in the whole world, the COVID crisis has created a major political change. Almost every incumbent in the world or, you know, every uh, candidate related to an incumbent uh, government has been lost or governments have been unseated at least in the West, in the, you know, uh, democracies. Of course, that has had implications. On one hand, we have seen unemployment rising, as I explained, but that has been very well correlated to populism. And this is very worrisome. Many of the responses from those who saw in this crisis an opportunity to take power have established a platform by, in essence, selling dreams that are not going to be accomplished or by making promises that are not going to be filled. And that's very problematic for the region and, and, and concerning. In addition to that, those populist ideas are bringing to the region the expectation that through public expenditure, everything will be solved. And especially by, you know, increasing taxes into private sector, especially into certain industries. There's no doubt that the discussion on climate change is extremely relevant. Actually, Latin America has a major role to play because of the endowment of nature that we have and the Amazon as, as it is. So, of course, it's very important to care for that, make wise decisions. But that's one thing. One thing is being wise and the other thing is just being bold. And I think we have seen in some cases extreme bold ideas, which are, you know, with the agenda of the climate change protection, moving to the extreme of not allowing a reasonable transition. The transition into climate change requires a lot of public funding 
even private funding, but at the end it needs to create wealth in order to replace old technologies with new technologies. And, you know, if you don't follow that path and you try just to jump from one side immediately to the other, you will be in the worst of both worlds. You will lose your sources of funding of today for the challenges that a region like Latin America has, education, infrastructure, everything related to competitiveness. And at the same time, you will not reach the transition because you will not be funding the technologies and the qualifications, the skills that are required for it. So I get a little bit of concern to that because the region has really, in summary, been strongly hit, not only by the pandemic, but by the shocks that have created afterwards. Populism, poor economic management, extreme ideological perspective on the logic of uh, climate change without thinking on a reasonable transition that allows a progress. And of course, that even has created a, a security challenges in some cases. We've seen more and more corruption. We've seen more and more drug trafficking. And we have also seen some kind of at least flirting with the rising powers that are in different regions of ours. And I think that put a, a total different conversation, but it's also something that needs to be addressed as well. Ambassador, I want to talk about one of the areas that actually has some positive economic growth potential. Latin America has a burgeoning digital and technology sector. Last year, there were something like 30 unicorns throughout the region. So what is needed to ensure that this industry continues to grow? That's one of the greatest news we have had, as you well, well pointed. Digital economy has been moving. One of the fortunes of Latin America is not only that we have a wonderful endowment of natural resources, but we have a wonderful endowment of people. And I think that's one of our greatest strengths. Latin America continues to be a, a youthful territory, which allows the adaptation and the capacity to absorb these new technologies. And, you know, with some better efforts on skills in education, you know, in math and in logic, and of course, in, in coding. But in addition to that, having English as a second language. And I said English very clearly because, you know, that's where most of the companies and, you know, is the international language. So if we can invest into those two things, there will be more and more opportunities. But at the end, digital industries are not different at the end from others. You know, they might have different combination of resources, But if you want them to be prosperous, if you want them to come to your country and stay and invest and, you know, expand uh, their influence in a territory, they will need, in essence, the same basics that any other company will require. It's a rule of law issue. You know, they need peace, security. They need stability in the rules. They need competitive tax code. Because, you know, if we overtax them, you know, the world is full of places to move on. And that, that will be a, a tendency. So if we really want to take advantage of this impressive increase in digital economy in the region, you know, the fintechs are really moving forward. Some of the most important in the world are happening in Brazil, in Mexico, in Colombia, in Argentina. So, I mean, there's a huge opportunity. But as I said, if, if, if we really want to take advantage of them, we need to make sure 
that long term, those kind of companies can really stay long in the region. In addition to the macroeconomic trends, the Americas are one of the most climate vulnerable regions. It is increasingly apparent that environmentally conscious practices are not just obligations for companies, but needed to ensure sustainable earnings. I wanted to ask you, Ambassador, how can companies in Latin America better think about incorporating sustainability into their production and value chains? Are there any best practices that you've encountered in your experience? I think the best recommendation for any corporate is really to be obsessed and convinced the climate change agenda is extremely important, that they need to not only implement ideas, but really own those ideas. The world is at risk. And Latin America, as probably I mentioned before, is one of these areas of the world that has a huge potential to contribute. To contribute because historically has been a region that is not as polluting as others and because has a wonderful biodiversity endowment and a very significant endowment on water, fresh water. So all these combined really gives Latin America and some specific countries like Brazil, Colombia, Venezuela and others, Peru, a, a real you know, edge on this subject. Now, companies, I think, try to move typically to comply to whatever is marketable in a sense that, you know, if the market will, you know, value or uh, discount the fact that you have strong ESG policies, somehow, you know, they will move on to that. And my recommendation is that they need to do it beyond just a market decision. They need to do it because somehow the planet is in trouble and because the contribution needs not to be just for the purpose of uh, having a better value, but to really protect the planet. I think that's really the kind of mantra that is necessary. On the other hand, as we commented at the, at the beginning of this conversation, governments need to be very smart on this approach as well. This is about allowing the private sector to participate, to adjust, and really to contribute. A lot of the major contributions from protecting the planet will come from corporates for two reasons. One, because they have the capital and the resources if they are committed to try. And second, because they can really organize in an efficient way that really can reduce the use of natural resources and in a way that really has a major impact. So if we want to move into that world of efficiency, if we want to move into that world of transitioning the economy to you know, cleaner sources of energy, moving from hydrocarbons, we need prosperity out of companies. So this should be a conversation between the academia, the private sector, the government, and that kind of conversation in which everybody on good faith is really protecting the planet, is really ready to make wise decisions. Not only bold decisions, as I said before, but wise in which you can be bold, but you should balance the process in a way that more solar energy comes, more aeolic energy comes, and other sources, geothermal, etc., etc., but in a way that it is feasible and, frankly speaking, that it can be financed. So 
you know, people can, can move forward. My final point on this is education. We need to transcend into education. Uh, part of the problem in, in Latin America is education, and then for those who have education, the quality of that education. We're lagging behind the rest of the world on that front. And unless we really can increase the individual competitiveness of every child, of every citizen, in a way that they can not only have the right set of information and values, but also the capacity to use new technologies, new tools. If we don't do that, we will be really missing probably the largest point. The hemisphere is going through significant changes as we've been discussing. One of the things that we haven't discussed yet is notable growth in political polarization, as well as the rise of authoritarian regimes that pursue hostile policies toward the United States and their neighbors. These regimes can also generate waves of disruption. What do the current trends of rising polarization and democratic backsliding mean for the future of the regional economy? Well, it's very sad to see that polarization has become not the exception, but the norm in world politics and especially in democracies and very specifically in Latin America. And I think we are moving backwards in democratic intentions in the region. We've seen what has happened in Venezuela with Maduro. We've seen what has happened in Nicaragua with Ortega. And we've seen, unfortunately, some other new governments that happen to be very friendly to those two uh, regimes. I hope they don't move on the, on the same direction, but it's hard not to see some intentions or simil similarities from these uh, governments trying to move into first offering solutions only in the microphone, but really moving away from the capacity to manage and implement solutions for the people. There's this idea of many of these uh, populist politicians that are trying to uh, speak in the name of the people. And I don't think they really are, at the end, providing solutions for the people. And of course, that creates tension and friction. First, because long term, you know, if policies are not really producing results, are going to bring frustration. And that kind of frustration will bring, of course, political shifts, if not confrontation, which is something that we need to worry. Second, because in a world of global power competition that we are now, we see regimes that are undemocratic, frankly speaking, authoritarian, from other parts of the world, trying to take advantage of this deterioration in democracy in the region. And what they're trying is to, of course, bring new tokens for their side. And they don't care what these governments are doing. They don't care if they do well for their people or not. They don't care if they are violating the law. They don't care, actually, probably even they like, if they undermine democracy. And that's something that we need to really see as a concerning issue. It's not about just the United States of, of keeping, you know, friends in the region. It's about us in Latin America to value the importance of democracy. I don't have any doubt that we have been probably not being effective enough on reducing poverty and bringing more equality. But that's one thing. And the order is to believe 
that the solution to those problems is basically to undermine democracy, not to speak to destroy institutions, and as a solution, just bring, you know, hopeful ideas or maybe beautiful phrases, but not, you know, practical solutions that attract investment, that produce management solutions, and at the end, you know, enhance the quality of life for people. And, you know, I think we are in those types of crossroads in Latin America right now that we need to watch. Ambassador, you mentioned Venezuela and Nicaragua, authoritarians uh, who often use companies to line their pockets and fuel their repressive regimes. Now, at a time when democracy seems to be on the back foot throughout the region, is there a greater role for private companies and the private sector to help support democratic institutions? I think so. You know, private companies will always have the chance of nurturing the environment for business. And of course, the best way to do that is first supporting democracies, supporting institutions, but also contributing locally and, you know, in the areas of their own influence to enhance communities and to bring to communities the value of democratic ideas and of, you know, keeping the rule of law. I believe that, you know, the private sector has a, has a role. In other times, probably nobody will thought why the private sector will have to have this kind of broader approach. I very much believe that, of course, the best thing a company can do is do well what they do, uh, you know, invest, create uh, value and, you know, pay your taxes in a very disciplined and structured way. But the world has become more complex than that. And unfortunately, it's not even that enough, but they need to move into these ESG practices that uh, really need to be very well structured, in which they will need more advice from, you know, experts in policy that allows private sector to be more effective in their contribution into communities, regions, and countries even. Ambassador Pinzon, is there something that we did not cover? Anything else that you would like to highlight or add? Well, we have had a, a, an extensive uh, conversation you know, I probably uh, took long commenting on some of the of the questions you brought for today. But I will probably uh, insist on the importance of understanding what is going on. Latin America is a region that I always invite my friends in the United States to look with more passion and more interest. Because, you know, our region, Latin America, is really a very well-endowed region. As I said before, we have natural resources, probably more than many places in the world. We have a wonderful population. Frankly speaking, our Latino culture is, is a beautiful culture. You know, it's especially, it's a culture of happiness. And those things are very positive. But, uh, you know, in a world in which we are right now, so complex, uh, you know, countries trying to find friends, my invitation is, for the Americans, don't hesitate. Look south, invest south, help us to grow Latin America because you will never repent. This is our own neighborhood and will be good for all of us and will be great for Latin Americans, but will be good for you. For my fellow Latin Americans, my message is do not underestimate the value and importance of freedom, of rule of law, 
and of democracy. And we need to be realistic about these things. When we lose these things, we don't get better. And by the way, we move backwards. So we need to somehow take care for those concepts that are very much in our mindset. You know, in Latin America, we are free-spirited people. It's part of the Latino culture. That's why we, we, we dance. That's why we, we care for music. That's why we care for colors. That's why we have carnivals all around the region. That's why every country has its own flavor. And I think it's because we really appreciate the freedom and the spirit of freedom as, as what represents. But we better take care of that because it can be lost. And once it's lost, you know, we, we really will be missing more more than that. Thanks so much for that closing message, Ambassador Pinzon. I know it's one that will be well-received by audience of 35 West. Ambassador Juan Carlos Pinzon, former two-time ambassador of Colombia to the United States, a visiting diplomatic fellow at CSIS, and many other things, as you could tell from this conversation. Thanks very much for joining us on 35 West today. We appreciate you taking the time. Thank you so much, Ryan. Wonderful to be here and hope to come back again. For you, thank you for joining. Stay tuned for the next episode of 35 West.